Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katulka. Israel is in the midst of celebrating 70 years of independence. It was in 1948 Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, declared Israel as an independent state. And what's interesting is this. During the declaration, Ben-Gurion mentions a man that had a profound impact on the rebirth of the Jewish state. And this man permeates modern Israeli history and culture, yet he never lived to see his dream come to fruition. Like a modern-day Moses, he's the father of modern Zionism. His name is Theodore Herzl. We're going to talk about him today on the program, but first, let me share with you some news. Israel recently honored its fallen soldiers during the annual Yam Hazikron Day of Remembrance. This year, the memorial focused on three fallen lone soldiers, Alex Singer, who was killed in Lebanon in 1987, Michael Levin, who was killed in 2006 during the Second Lebanon War, and Max Steinberg, who was killed in 2014 serving in the Gaza War, which is also known in Israel as Operation Protective Edge. A lone soldier is a Jewish young adult who immigrates to Israel solely to serve in the Israeli Defense Forces. And they're called lone soldiers because they come to Israel alone. They have no family or friends to support them in their mission. These lone soldiers left the comforts of their lives in America to serve the only state that provides Jewish people the right to protect themselves and to self-determination. It's right that Israel focuses this year's Day of Remembrance on these lone soldiers who sacrificed their lives to protect the only Jewish state. There's a special place in Jerusalem that is often skipped over on tours to Israel. Uh, The occasional tour to Israel might take you here, but often it's looked over because it's a place that's unique and special and significant to Israelis. The place is called Mount Herzl. It's Israel's national cemetery. It's the equivalent to the Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. And Mount Herzl is named after one of the most famous Jewish people that lived in the 19th and 20th century, Theodore Herzl. Today, most cities in Israel have a street named after Theodore Herzl. In the city of Rehovot, where I often get a chance to go on our Origins program, just outside of Tel Aviv, there it's a pretty big city, actually. Their main street is called Herzl Street. When you drive north of Tel Aviv and head towards Haifa, there's a major coastal city that's actually considered a very high-tech city called Herzliya, which is named after Theodore Herzl. So who is this man? Well, let me take it one step further. What would you think of this guy whose name is everywhere and is connected to Israel's national pride? What would you do if you heard that he never actually had the the ability to see Israel uh, become uh, a self-determined people? Well, this man, Theodore Herzl, may never have lived to see Israel gain independence, but he is known in Israel and the Jewish world as the father of modern Zionism. While many Jewish people throughout the centuries prayed one day to see a Jewish state reborn, Theodore Herzl put feet to those prayers. He organized and implemented the structure. 
that would one day give way to an independent Jewish state. But it's his journey in life that gave him the purpose to see a homeland for the Jewish people established. Theodor Herzl was born in May of 1860 in what is now Budapest, Hungary. And he grew up actually right next to a synagogue. But he was, he was never really a religious Jewish man. And, and as he grew, his role model was a man named Ferdinand de Lesseps, a, a French diplomat and developer of the Suez Canal. Herzl soon realized his limitations and found out that the sciences weren't really his thing, but soon grew a passion for poetry and for writing. And out of that passion, he became a journalist. Uh, he and his family later moved to Vienna, where he worked as a journalist for the New Free Press, his career took him to places like London, Istanbul, and Paris. And it was during this time in Herzl's life, he didn't really write or think much on Jewish life. In fact, he was more interested in German culture. Uh, he, like most people of his time, considered the Germans to be the most cultured people, the, the most educated. His way of life was that of assimilation as a Jewish person. And even though he was Jewish, born and raised in a Jewish family, living right next to a synagogue, Herzl wasn't going to be defined by his Jewish identity. He preferred to be a Jewish person who looked like everyone else. And as one writer put it, Herzl was fanatical about sharing the liberal Jewish-German assimilation doctrine. Deep down, Herzl looked at the persecution of the Jewish people. Think about this. He looked at the persecution of the Jewish people throughout the ages and believed that the reason that they are constantly under attack over and over again is because they look and sound and act different than everyone else. And so for Herzl, early in his life, he believed, really, if you wanted to stop anti-Semitism, then stop acting Jewish and just be like the people in your nation in which you live. Herzl was later assigned to cover a trial in Paris, a trial about Alfred Dreyfus, a captain in the French army and a Jewish man who was convicted of treason for sending classified information to the Germans. However, later, evidence appeared that proved Dreyfus's innocence. But leaders in the French military court acquitted the real criminal and kept Dreyfus in jail. And this divided France, all over France. Anti-Semitic riots broke out in more than 20 French cities. And to this day, the event is called the Dreyfus Affair. Well, imagine Herzl is a journalist and he's watching all of this unfold before his very eyes as he's reporting about it. And this is really a defining moment for Herzl as he struggles internally with his philosophy of Jewish assimilation. See, Herzl believed Jewish people should just assimilate into the culture of the country you live and then there'll be no Jewish persecution. And yet here he is watching Captain Alfred Dreyfus, a Jewish man who dons the regalia of the French army, who has embraced French culture and defends the French way of life found guilty of treason when the evidence of his innocence is overwhelming. And yet he remains guilty because he's Jewish. And then because he's Jewish, anti-Semitic riots break out all over France. And for Herzl hearing the French crowd scream out, death to the Jews, was enough to unravel his theory that Jews should just assimilate. According to him, that's when he knew Jewish people needed to get out of Europe. 
Herzl returned determined to accomplish his new task. He wrote a book called Der Judenstaat, which in German is The Jewish State. And in the book, he says this. The Jewish question persists wherever Jews live in appreciable numbers. Wherever it does not exist, it is brought in together with Jewish immigrants. We are not naturally drawn into those places where we are not persecuted, and our appearance there gives rise to persecution. Did you hear it? The very appearance of Jewish people, uh, Theodore Herzl's arguing, is enough to give rise to anti-Semitism, enough to give rise to persecution. And he continues, this is the case and will inevitably be so wherever, even in the highly civilized countries. You know, we're not talking about countries of uh, third world countries or people who are uneducated. He's concerned about the highly educated, highly civilized countries where anti-Semitism exists. Now, Herzl's book gained notoriety almost overnight, and his book is the earliest work on modern Zionism, the, the belief that Jewish people have the right to exist and thrive in their ancestral homeland. Now, Herzl concluded his book by saying, therefore, believe that a wondrous generation of Jews will spring into existence, that the Maccabeans will rise again. Let me repeat once more, he says, uh, with my opening words, the Jews who wish for a state will have it. We shall live at last as free men on our own soil and die peacefully in our own homes. You know, Herzl started to spread his message of Zionism all across Europe, and he even attempted to speak to the Sultan Abu Dalhamid II of the Ottoman Empire, who had controlled the land that is now known as Israel, to see if he would actually be willing to help with the Jewish plight of persecution, maybe even opening the land for Jewish return. Well, he didn't really get too far with the Sultan on his first uh, visit, but, but he did eventually get a chance to talk to him a few years later. In 1897, Herzl initiates this event called the First Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland. And, and there were more than 200 attendees from 17 countries. And the list included Jewish men and women and, and even 10 Christians. People like Protestant missionary pastor Dr. Johann Lepsis, who was from Berlin. Uh, William Heckler, an Anglican who valued the Jewish people returning to the land, and Henry Dunant, who was the first winner of the Nobel Peace Prize and founder of the Red Cross. Zionist organizations from all over gathered to cast a vision for the future of the Jewish state. They, they even adopted the Haktikva as their anthem. This, this is the same song that would be adopted as Israel's national anthem only 50 years later. For Herzl, having the Jewish people back in their ancestral homeland was a priority. But listen, he never ruled out creating a Jewish state elsewhere. Early on, Herzl believed Argentina could possibly be a good location to build a Jewish state. Later, as Palestine uh, was looking impossible to achieve and Jewish persecution in Russia was becoming a serious issue, Herzl proposed the Uganda program to the Sixth Zionist Congress. Identifying Uganda in Africa as a potential place for refuge for Russian Jews and a potential Jewish state. Well, the Seventh Zionist Congress rejected Herzl's proposal. And sadly, he was never there to hear the verdict. In 1904, 
Theodor Herzl died in Vienna of pneumonia, coupled with a weak heart that was weakened by only a few years of stressful work to establish the Jewish state. Theodor Herzl was only 44 years old. Herzl said at the First Zionist Congress in 1897, at Basel, I founded the Jewish state. If I said this out loud today, I would be answered by universal laughter. If not in five years, certainly in 50, everyone will know it. Would you believe that 50 years and nine months to the day that Theodore Herzl said that, Israel would declare their independence? An independent Jewish state that Theodore Herzl envisioned would actually become a reality. In 1949, Theodore Herzl's remains were exhumed from Vienna and, and reburied atop Mount Herzl. Today, men and women of valor who sacrificed their lives for serving Israel and protecting Israel and the Israeli Defense Forces are buried atop Mount Herzl. Five of Israel's prime ministers, Levi Eshkol, Golda Meir, Yitzhak Shamir, Yitzhak Rabin, and Shimon Peres, all of these Israeli prime ministers are buried atop Mount Herzl, as well as Israel presidents like Chaim Weizmann. So you can see that there is a reason Theodore Herzl is such a part of the fabric of Israel's modern history. Now, when we return, I want to highlight one of the Christian men present at the first Zionist Congress who had a profound impact on Herzl's life and his vision for the Jewish state. So stick around. As we've been learning today, this year marks the 70th anniversary of Israel's rebirth as a nation. To mark this historic year and for a limited time, we're offering the beautiful commemorative book, Israel Rising, The Land of Israel Reawakens. This beautiful book is a stunning combination of the historic and the contemporary. It transports us back in time more than 2,000 years to uncover an ancient mystery and celebrate Israel's miraculous journey from prophecy to the rebirth of a nation. Filled with compelling images of Israel then and now, you will see for yourself the physical transformation of the land within the last century. The result is a dramatic visual chronicle and the perfect piece to commemorate this historic anniversary. To learn how you can purchase Israel Rising for a limited time, you do not want to miss out on this because I'm telling you, my friends, this book is truly an amazing book to see Israel from the past and Israel present, to see how far God has brought Israel. To get this book, limited time book, go to foiradio.org or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. That's 888-343-6940 or foiradio.org. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in all of our talks on Theodore Herzl and his work in helping to create what is now Israel, we never mentioned the Bible. And there's a reason for that. Herzl was not a religious man. You know, Herzl sought to create a Jewish state based on fear of Jewish persecution in Europe and a desire for Jewish people to control their own destiny. And I'm sure he was aware of his ancestry, their history in the land. I'm sure he understood the Hebrew Bible, but that wasn't what drove him. However, Herzl may not have been thinking much about the prophecies of the Old Testament, but God put an unlikely friend in Herzl's path. Reverend William Heckler, an Anglican from the United Kingdom, 
who was sent to be chaplain for the British Embassy in Vienna. Heckler loved to study the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, and he got his hands, somehow, on Herzl's book, The Jewish State, and connected with Herzl to let him know the work he, what he, to let him know that the work that he is doing is biblical. Herzl said this about his new friend, Reverend Heckler. Heckler is a likable, sensitive man with a long gray beard of a prophet. He waxed enthusiastic over my solution. He too regards my movement as a prophetic crisis. Heckler declares my movement to be a biblical one. Even though I proceed rationally in all points, he wants to place my tract in the hand of some German princes. He used to tutor in the household of the Grand Duke of Baden. He knows the German Kaiser and thinks he can get me an audience. Heckler connected Herzl with top politicians in Germany and even in Turkey. Uh, Herzl later commented on his friendship with Heckler saying, he gives me excellent advice, full of unmistakable goodwill. He is at once clever and mystical and naive. His counsel and precepts have been excellent to date. That's what Herzl says about Heckler. You know, Heckler was there the day before Herzl died and, and Herzl said to him, greet Palestine for me. I gave my life's blood for my people. You know, Heckler reminded Herzl, despite the fact of what you think about Israel, you are on a biblical mission. The work you're doing is rooted in the scriptures. Herzl in return called Heckler, I love this, a Christian Zionist, one who loves and supports the Jewish people and their desire to be restored in their ancient homeland. And and really what we see with Heckler is this. God, even as God is using Herzl and Herzl is completely unaware of God moving, God puts Heckler in Herzl's way. It's a way for God to place his fingerprint on making sure Herzl knows that this is a divine process. I like to think of it like the story of Esther. You know, not once is God's name mentioned in the book of Esther. Not once, but you see God's hand moving in this process the entire time. Heckler comes along in Herzl's life. God is not mentioned at all. And all of a sudden, Heckler reminds Herzl, you're on a biblical mission. Are you like William Heckler? Do you believe God is moving in and through Israel right now? and that the Jewish people have the right to exist in their ancient homeland? If you do, it's very simple. If you do, you're a Christian Zionist. And you fall in a long legacy of Christian Zionists God raised up to help encourage their Jewish friends in the work they're doing to reestablish the Jewish state. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. Lord Jesus said, When they bring you to the synagogues, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I praise God this truth strengthens me as I witness for him in the land of Israel. On a pleasant Sabbath recently, I took my son's dog out for a walk, and as I was walking, 
an Orthodox family with many children approached me, and the children began to play with the dog, and their father was happy to see them having such a good time. As we watched his children, the little dog occupied himself by chewing on the tassels of the man's prayer show. I did not notice what the dog was doing, or I would have stopped him, and while I had a good laugh about the situation, the man became angry. He said, I have made a great sin by allowing your unclean dog to defile my long tassels. He ate my most holy possession. I responded, Your tassels were never holy. If you know the Jewish scriptures, you should know in Numbers 15.37, the Lord commanded the Israelites to make tassels on their garments to serve as a visual reminder of his commandments. But God never said they were holy. He wants you to look at them and remember what he expects of you. The man asked, How do you know what the Lord expects of me? I replied, He wants you to keep his commandments. Joel 2.13 says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Your tassels are more important to you than your faith in the Lord, but your faith in him is more important to God than your tassels. I will be happy to purchase more tassels for your prayer shawl so people can see how holy you are on the outside, but that will not affect your heart's attitude toward God. He became extremely agitated and said, As a Jew, you should know it is our obligation to wear tassels on our garments. I replied, Receiving the Lord as your Savior is more important. Why keep his commandments if you do not understand why you are doing it? In time, he became calm and eventually said, Now I know with whom I should be spending time. It will be a privilege for me to visit you on my way home from the synagogue. Perhaps I can bring a lost soul back to God. I let him continue for a while, and then his attitude changed abruptly when he sensed the irony in someone like him trying to bring another back to God. He told me he used to be a drug addict, but said he had repented. I prayed silently and then said, You must open your heart before the Lord and ask for the forgiveness of your sins. I thought this would make him angry, but instead he asked in whom I placed my faith and how I had come to believe as I do. And for the next hour, I had the great privilege of telling this Orthodox Jewish man how I had found Jesus. Who would have thought a little dog could pave the way for such an opportunity? This was a work of God. Perhaps someday he will discard his tassels and place his faith in God, not in his garments. Thank you for joining us today. Chris, we spent a good portion of this episode looking at the life of Theodore Herzl. I found it really interesting that Heckler's understanding of what Herzl was doing was in light of the prophecies he read in Daniel and Revelation. Yeah, you know, you can't escape from what the Bible says about how God is going to restore his people to the land. And despite how much Herzl was working on his own, 
to get this job done from a secular perspective. God used Heckler, who was reading the scripture, seeing it happening right before his very eyes, to to really leave a lasting impression on Herzl that God was in the middle of all of this. Thanks, Chris. That's really beautiful. And a reminder to our listeners, if you have not subscribed to Israel My Glory, you can get a full year at no cost when you visit foiradio.org. There you'll also find the book we mentioned, Israel Rising. Again, visit foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Gatolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. 